Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Go check out the new manifesto on lifestyle design, authored by yours truly, Buy Your Own Island, now available on Amazon. It's been called inspiring and empowering and one of the best new books on entrepreneurship. Lifestyle design for 2015 and beyond. Look for it on Amazon or go download the audiobook for free at buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. Hey, thanks for joining us. So I'm honored today to have a fellow San Diegan on the podcast. He's a very interesting and unique guy. His name is Gregory Deal. Just want to welcome you to the show, Greg. It is wonderful to be here, Danny. I am a big fan of your website, and I think you're doing very, very cool stuff uh, promoting travel and all kinds of awesome activities around the world that people need to be more aware of. Thank you, Greg. So Greg here, he's a little bit unique and special for a few reasons. He's a digital nomad who spends about a month or two in different countries, and he's been to over 20 so far. We were connected through our mutual friend, Justin Alexander, who's also been on the podcast. Okay, Gregory, so can you tell me a little bit more about your background? You've been traveling a while now. Uh, who were you when you started, and where are you at now? I know that you've, you were self-educated. Uh, you didn't go to college. When did you start traveling? I started traveling um, shortly after graduating high school when I was still 18. I went to Costa Rica for a year, lived up on, lived off of saved money and a small amount of money I'd inherited. Uh, very carefree, exactly like what we were just talking about, that state of mind you reach where you have no obligations, so you're free to think about, well, what should I really be doing next? Um, after that, I, I went back to California a few times, found that I was miserable there, decided I needed to keep exploring the world, went to Ecuador and other parts of South America. Uh, my thirst for new information about human culture and new ways of living expanded with every new place I went to. So then I made the biggest jump of my life at the time over to China for six months where I worked as an English teacher, which was an awful experience, but I learned quite a bit from and uh, <laughs> I, I ended up going to new countries every few months, uh, first taking jobs where I could, very often teaching English or, or working in whatever capacity I could. I was very good at working for myself, even just through things like Craigslist. I used to teach guitar lessons for 50 or $60 an hour, even when I was a teenager, because I was always a good hustler. I was always good at just putting little half plans together and convincing people to give me money, which is how I supported myself for a while, which is essentially the, still the same thing I'm doing. I'm just much more systematized and efficient with it now. So it's much higher dollar amounts now and I look like a real professional, but it's the same basic skill set. <laughs> so these, and, these real world travels, uh, these real world experiences that you had traveling the world, they kind of made you a better entrepreneur, would you say? Oh, before, absolutely. Before the call, we were talking about how, um, you were saying that it's it's all about just getting experience after experience after experience, and that makes you a better marketer, a better entrepreneur. Could you expand on that? Well, a it, bit? it does several things for you. Uh, one is back to that. People talk about lifestyle design, 
that's especially common in our niche. Uh, people want to choose the country they can go to that will allow them to live the life they want. They want to work online even if they're not making more money than they would have made in a normal job just because it means that they can do the kind of work they want. They can work on their own schedule. They don't have to put on pants. They can work in the middle of the night. They can take several days off. All that is just the benefits of lifestyle design beyond the actual money that you're making. But I think what's first most important is lifestyle discovery. You know, figure out all the ways that you can live before you start arbitrarily deciding how you're going to live. And you only do that by having as many new experiences as possible. And maybe that's a little easier when you're younger. I think I got started younger than most people do. I think most people who live this lifestyle probably work a corporate job for 10 years before they realize how miserable they are. And then in their 30s or 40s, they they take off and and sort of reinvent themselves. Uh, I think you should get started doing this as young as possible. I think I'm a little bit too jealous long. of I'm a little bit jealous of you, Gregory, because I went to college uh, and you got a head start on me. So I did not go to college. No, I went to the school of life. Yeah, and <laughs> I, like I think people should be doing this at 13, though. I mean, for the right people, this this is the greatest learning experience you can have to learn about other people, to learn about yourself, what you're capable of, to learn to be resourceful when you really throw yourself. You know, some of these places are easy to travel to. Costa Rica was a very easy first step for me. There was a lot of English. I learned Spanish pretty easily. It's a very comfortable type of culture, very cheap. But some places, I didn't know a damn thing. I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anything about the culture. I didn't have any friends in China uh, or many of the other places I've been to. I've been to 20 countries now. And uh, while now I'm currently in Spain, which is pretty easy to get around in, and it's a nice developed country, a month ago I was in Ghana, which is exactly the opposite. The infrastructure hardly works. The people themselves are pretty friendly, and most of them speak English, but the culture is just so different, and it's very, very poor. So all these things are things you have to adjust to in the moment, and that's how you also learn to survive as an entrepreneur, I think, because you have no guarantee that your business is going to work. You've just got to make it work. You've got to adapt. You've got to pick up the skills you need, and you've just got to put the effort into it. And you do that. You discover your identity as an entrepreneur by trying many different kinds of work for many different kinds of clients, just like I discovered my identity by living in many different conditions, living many different lifestyles. And it's a process that should never stop, ideally, even if you start to get a really good sense of who you are, what you're doing personally, what you're doing professionally. You should always be throwing yourself into new things and just seeing seeing how you change as a result. Yeah, I completely agree. I find that my travels um, really influence my school of thought. I'm able to really focus on what's important, I think. Um, And also, once I've seen the world, I can better understand my place in it. I can find where I can, can come into play and kind of find my groove. And none of that would have ever happened if I had never left home. Right. When people, there's a common, I don't know if this is an accurate statistic, but it's often said that people die shortly after retiring. And I guess the, the interpretation of that information is that once you no longer know what you're supposed to be doing, if you've had a place a way to exist for 60 years of your life, whether that's a job or living in the same town your whole life or surrounded by the same people, you, you feel like you you have a space and environment to exist. And then when people retire, they suddenly have no idea what they're supposed to do with their time. And maybe they take a year or two to loaf on the beach or to play golf or any of these things that people consider the the luxurious recreational life now that they have the money and no obligations. But sooner or later, 
they start to say, well, what am I doing with my life now? Who am I? What's my purpose? And a lot of them get really sick and die very shortly after. And I guess (laughs) there's supposed to be a correlation between those two. I think I I feel like it's, it's like that old saying, you know, they're just reading one page of a book over and over and over again. Yeah. And they're missing out on all of the other 300, 400, 500 pages that life has waiting for them if they just turn the page. Yeah, I'm trying, there, there was a phrase I'm trying to remember now. It's, it's don't, it's live every day, don't live the same day over and over again or something like that. Or don't, don't live this, every time you have a birthday, ask yourself, did I just relive the same year or did I get a year older with new a new year of experiences? Wow. Yeah, I, I can remember when I spent a year back at home, like a whole year could pass and I can't remember anything that happened. You know, I can't remember anything that happened in 2007 or 2008. But when I travel, you know, just three months, uh, I can have three years' worth of experiences. Right. When I look back on what I was doing a year ago, it, I was in the Philippines a year ago. I've been to probably eight other countries since then, some of them which I'd already been to before. Uh, and I've done so many things and met so many people and made so – I'm making probably – five to 10 times as much money now as I was a year ago. And I've, I've been so many places and done so many things. It, it changes so rapidly. It's the exact opposite of the person who lives the same day or the same year over and over where time blends together and it, and you can't, you can't even feel the passage of time. When you live the lifestyle that people like us do, it's the exact opposite. It's like every month is like a year of experience going by where things are happening so quickly and you're just growing so much because of it. Yeah, I remember a quote that I first heard from our mutual friend, uh, Justin, where he said that uh, monotony dulls your perception of time and novelty unfolds it. Right. I love that quote. And the world has so much novelty, you could, you could never run out of it. I'm still so young, and even though I've been doing this for about eight years now, it's like I'm just getting started. If I tell people I've lived in 20 countries, that sounds like an impressive statistic to some people, but then there are people who've lived in over 100 countries, right? So really, I'm just getting started on this journey. Yeah, and I notice the more I open myself up to new opportunities and new experiences, um, it seems like the, the bigger my world gets, you know? Like, the more I travel, the more places I have to travel. And right. it just keeps increasing exponentially at an accelerating rate. It's, it's really quite fascinating. You know, like I don't feel like I'm jaded or, or that I've seen it all. I've been to 32 countries, but, you know, I, I still feel like there's a lot of places I haven't been. And I just wish I had but, more. But more now, you, now you feel like you could go those places, right? Because even if you haven't been to that particular, I don't know, Middle Eastern country, maybe you've been places near there. So you understand the general cultural mentality you're getting into and you feel like you could adapt once you got there because you've had similar enough experiences. Exactly. And I'm more confident. I'm more self-aware. And, um, you know, I can go for bigger and bigger goals because I've, I've had all these reference experiences behind me. And, you know, it's, it's really helped uh, transform my life. I think it's really cool. And a, a common thread that I see among people like you and me and Justin, my friend Johnny Ward, who I interviewed for this show, uh, whenever we see a fork in the road, we just take it. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you see a chance to take action, err on the side of action. And we were talking about this before the call. And it's just, just saying yes to opportunities, just saying yes more often. And the downside to that 
in a traditional way of thinking is that you have less stability in your life, that you cannot build structures over time if you're constantly changing what you're doing and what direction you're heading in. But with the world of the internet and the fact that I can carry my business in a laptop bag, I get the best of both of those things, that I can have perpetual novelty and always be doing new things as long as I can get on a computer once in a while and make sure my business is still growing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, Gregory, I can't wait to have kids and figure out how they fit into this equation because obviously that's going to add a whole other factor to what I'm doing, and I definitely want to have a family. But I know there are people who do that. They travel around the world with their families or they, they live in multiple locations around the world for a few months at a time. So it's, you know, it's a very rapidly changing world, and the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> well, who's a lucky girl, Greg? Uh, I'm still working on that still part of the equation. Oh, I, I have okay. some theories, but it's too early to tell. I don't want to jump the gun on that. I was hoping we could get some some juicy deets on the show here, but uh... I don't want to shoot myself in the foot here. <laughs> okay, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about business. You're obviously a business development consultant who supports yourself uh, entirely virtually uh, through clients that you work with around the world and able to travel at the same time and not be bound to one location. Where are your clients located, Gregory? My clients are located all over the world, uh, quite literally, although many of them tend to be concentrated into more developed nations like the United States, Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and the fact that they speak English there is very nice. But I also work with people um, in the Middle East, in Africa, in, in parts of Asia, in South America, it's they come from all over because that's the beauty of the Internet is that you do not have the same physical limitations as you would if you just uh, put up a sign in your local town and, and said, I'm, I'm now a, a dentist, come, come get your dental work for me, or I'm now a musician, a music teacher, come, come take your lessons from me. If you happen to live near the street that I live on, you can reach out to anyone who needs what you offer as long as you can offer it through a computer. And so these guys are coming to you from all over the world. What are they looking for? What are they seeking out when they contact you? The people I work with, I mean, there are all kinds of consultants in the world, and they all rightfully have their place because everyone has different kinds of problems that they need a different kind of expert opinion and advice on. I tend to specialize uh, on people who need help developing the identity of their business which then bleeds over into their overall branding, the narrative of the company, and all applications of messaging, which can be something as mundane as we need a, we need a piece of sales copy, but we don't know how to talk about what's so great about what we do, to we need to talk to the people who might invest half a million dollars in our company, but again, we don't know how to explain both with, with the specific words we choose to use and how we say them, how we write them. Uh, in a way that would get them very interested in being part of our company and putting so much money and trust and faith into what we're doing. So it, identity, in a sense, is really just how the world perceives you in every possible application. It's it's sort of like a unique selling proposition, at least in the way that consumers perceive you, right? People choose to do business with you. They choose to buy your product because they perceive it as somehow unique and better than all the other options available. So something like that would be an integral part of your identity. But identity is much bigger because it applies to every single person you interact with, including your employees, uh, people who partner with you, people who invest with you, uh, just anyone who is aware that you exist, the impression they have of you 
for is is a component of your identity. So it's like Michael Gerber says, the uh, four primary influencers, customers, employees, suppliers, and lenders, right? I'd actually never heard that before, but yeah, that's pretty spot on. Yeah, well, and Emeth uh, revisited. He says those are the four primary influencers of business. Uh, but let me ask you, is, is the identity of a business like kind of like its soul, would you say? Well, I don't like to get all metaphysical and, <laughs> and <laughs> spiritual, but yeah. Uh, actually, yes, I believe I've used that analogy in the past that uh, it's sort of funny that many people, and this isn't to say that they're bad business people or their product is bad, but some, some of their understandings of, of how to form a, a company culture or an identity are very immature because they start with things like taglines and elevator pitches and mission statements. And all of those things don't have any place until you really understand who you are and what you're doing. And then all those things are just applications of it. Uh, if, if you didn't have that one tagline talking about one particular feature or one value of your business, you'd choose something else. But all of that first comes from understanding what you care about and what you're trying to do. And then you form it into a mission statement. Then you get a logo that represents those values. Then you get a website layout that, that shows off what you're trying to show off. You don't start with those things. You start with that uh, philosophical inquiry that so many people are afraid to do, especially without the help of someone like me. So when people start out, they, they make the business all about them, but it really doesn't matter what they think about their own business. It's about what other people think about business, right? Right. And it does, you know, again, it doesn't matter the one specific way that you show off your business, the one specific sales pitch. It really has so much more to do with the principle of who you are and what you're doing and why the rest of the world should care. Everything else comes so much more easily once you have clarity on that. Right. I remember reading about a case study once. Uh, there was a company called WorkSource. And they specialized in remote assistance. And when they had the name WorkSource, you know, they had no identity. They had nothing uh, interesting about them. Uh, you know, their employee turnover was really high. Their number of accounts was really low. And then they changed their name to Ruby Receptionists. And then they got a new uh, logo, new branding, everything. Uh, and it was kind of a throwback to the 1950s where everyone, uh, everywhere you went, you had great customer service. And, you know, suddenly their employee turnover, like, just dropped dramatically. And, uh, you know, their, their account base grew exponentially. Um, is that kind of like the, the kind of work that you do with people? Like, you just kind of come out from an outside lens and say, look, this is what you're doing wrong. This is where you should go. Sure. I mean, most of the people I work with are people who have been in business for a little while and have some sort of accidental success. And it could be a, a single professional, like somebody running their, their Pilates retreats and workshops around the world who, who have uh, been a little bit successful, totally by accident, because they're good at what they do and they managed to develop enough of a following to book a few retreats, but they didn't know how to optimize what they were doing. They didn't know how to identify with their greatest strengths and figure out why people were specifically coming to them. Some of them are larger companies who maybe they grew to a certain point, but then their growth suddenly slowed down or stopped and they're now hemorrhaging money and they can't figure out why. Because up until a certain point, everything they did by accident was working rather well. And now suddenly it's not and they're freaking out because market 
conditions change. And the whole process is so diverse that at any time, a single variable could be the cause of most of your success. And the moment that variable changes, you lose most of your success, which is why you need to have a very complex structure that has many ways to make money and isn't dependent on a single point of failure. And of course, some of them are people who aren't in business at all yet and are starting. They want the blueprint of how their business will turn out and the impression it will have on the world. Those kinds of people, it's a little bit harder because at least with somebody who's been around for a little while, they have some actual market feedback. They've interacted with customers. People have stated they like them for specific reasons. People have stated they don't like them for specific reasons. There's a lot more clay to mold with. Somebody coming from nothing, it's not impossible, especially if you're very familiar with the market that you're working within. But you have to be a lot more strategic. They just want to bypass that learning phase, go straight from childhood up to adulthood as quickly as possible. And it's not impossible. And with the right guidance, it could definitely happen. It just requires a lot more knowledge of the kind of people and products you're working with. Okay, so there's a few different directions we can go here. Um, you mentioned that they didn't have enough... Uh, first, we were talking about identity, and then you mentioned that they don't have enough like income sources, or, or what was the, the word you used, the term you used? Revenue sources? Uh, I might have said single point of failure in the variables. Um, yeah, well, okay. so, so you're actually like helping them shape their business model as well, right? I everything because your business model really comes comes from who you are as a company, what you're trying to do, what's appealing to you about the people that you sell to, because that's all going to affect how they end up giving you money. Uh, using myself as an example, one of my strengths is as a speaker and a presenter and talking in live situations to people. So that's how I get most of my business right now is by getting into live situations, either on the phone or on Skype or in person. I'm definitely planning on starting to do webinars in the near future because not because I'm a webinar expert or I know for a fact that will be a good income source for me, but because I know that the medium fits my identity well, that these are the things I'm good at. These are what people have historically responded to. A lot of times companies, again, they'll set things up for one way Almost, almost for no reason at all, just because it was the first thing that came to mind and it worked to a degree. But then the moment that it stops working, they don't know where to go from there because they don't know uh, where the flaw is in the system, why it worked, when it did, and why it's no longer working. So they need to have as many pots boiling as possible until some of them start working. And if some of them stop working, then compensate with something else until you lock onto a sustainable way to make money, something that's in line with your strengths and in line with what your audience is looking for. And again, in the long run, all of that can change. But when you really hit on to a need or a desire that people have that seems pretty constant, the life, the lifetime viability of it is much longer than if you just accidentally happen to stumble onto an opportunity. I see. So it's about continually learning, adapting, and evolving uh, the company, right? Absolutely. You, you cannot stand still. The standstill is to die. Can, can you tell me about some of uh, some specifics, like some case studies that you've worked with? Because I'm, I'm looking at your client roster. You have uh, life insurance. Uh, looks like you've worked with an app company, um, a raw food coaching program. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Can you give me a couple of anecdotes here? Maybe some juicy details? Or, uh, yes. Or maybe maybe you have an NDA. I don't know, but if, if that's all right. Well, I, I can be vague enough. Yeah, and obviously anybody who's agreed to give a testimony on my website uh, isn't too shy about sharing their experience with me. And yeah, you'll see there's a pretty big, uh, diverse range of people that I've worked with, although I definitely have my preferences. I like working with companies that have really interesting 
stories to tell, really meaningful data, not just somebody who's who's learned to produce a widget because there are millions of people who need to buy this widget, but people who have a purpose behind what they're doing and want to connect to people on both an emotional and practical level, not just our product's cheaper, our product's faster, our product is lighter, our product is smaller. But uh, you want to work with us because it fits into your life and you feel good about working with us, that kind of emotional appeal that is so much harder to put into words, like the feeling you get when you go into a Starbucks compared to the feeling you get when you go into a Dunkin' Donuts, right? They both sell coffee, but there's a totally different emotional flavor to both of them. And they've worked very hard to cultivate that kind of culture. Um, I have worked with a lot of coaches, like you mentioned, the raw food coach, um, partially because it really fits into that, to my mantra of wanting to work with people who are very meaningful and passionate about what they're doing. Anybody who's a coach of any kind, whether it's for health or psychological or lifestyle uh, purposes or other business coaches, they have a very powerful personal reason behind what they're doing. And likewise, the people that are coming to them and usually paying a lot of money have very powerful personal motivators behind why they're coming to them. Otherwise, they wouldn't hire coaches. It's a very different kind of buying process than somebody who just needs a a quick fix or a a quick little uh, desire fulfilled in their life, like a cup of coffee is is a quick little deed I fulfilled in my life. Uh, That being said, I do work with People on the much larger scale, um, actually a lot of the people I work with are involved in business development too, like learning how to hire employees better, how to train them better, how to shape their company culture better through the right people, how to train people better. Uh, one company I recently started working with that helps assess how well employees work together in teams. And it's actually a very interesting little tool. They're still in the startup phase, but the people behind it are all very technical people and they don't, English isn't even their first language, which makes uh, them need me even more. But while they have a very good software technical understanding of the product they've created and why people would use it, they don't know how to present it in that way that really speaks to hiring managers, to the heads of of huge international companies on why this tool would not only save them money from a practical standpoint and save them time with their hiring, firing, and training decisions, but also just make their company flow better, make people happier to be there, make potentially completely revolutionize the way that their company is run on all levels of employees and how they work together in groups. So that... That's the sort of thing I like working with because when once they have that message really locked down, their product goes from just being a good idea that they can't seem to gain any traction with to being something people are rapidly consuming and craving for. Awesome. So you told me a little bit about the what, but tell me a little bit about the how. How do these companies become more like uh, Starbucks versus uh, a company like Dunkin' Donuts? Um, what are some of the characteristics of where we want to go from where we are now? or Well, there's a four-step process. I usually start with people just okay. to get a sense of what I'm working with. And it's quite possible someone else has done something like this. I don't remember ever reading this in any book. This is just sort of a process I came to through my own experiences of working with people. One, I start by asking them what's the specific problem they solve. It's very straightforward, very simple, because every product that exists, every business that exists, exists to solve a specific problem. And the more specific you can make that problem, the more effective that answer is, because then that turns into, well, 
what kind of specific people need that specific problem solved. That's how you can get a sense of who your target market is. And beyond just solving a specific problem that people have, food, food solves a problem that we have. We're hungry, so we go out and get something to eat, and we're no longer hungry. But there are millions of kinds of food that we can choose from, and there's a very competitive market for all the different kinds of food you can be eating because it's not just as simple as, I'm hungry, I need to satiate my hunger. There's an emotional process involved. There's nutritional processes involved. There's the culture of food that um, Thai food tastes very different than uh, German food. All of that goes into the way that something solves the problem rather than just going straight from point A to point Z, I'm hungry, I'm no longer hungry. There's a very complex subconscious process going on when we choose what kind of food we're going to eat to no longer be hungry. So the problem that's being solved, the way that it's being solved, the kind of person that really wants that problem solved in that very specific way. And then the fourth step that is the most often overlooked is what is the personality that your company is somehow adding to this process, which in the case of food would either be the the people who produce and package the food or the restaurant that serves the food or whoever is somehow providing the food for you. How do you feel when you interact with them? Are they designed to get you excited? Are they designed to be sympathetic and loving and nurturing? Most people don't give a lot of thought to that. And if you're a sole proprietor and your business is essentially you, then it's very much just a personal brand. Uh, I have a very you know, specific personality. I tend to be a very direct person. I tend to be very stern and while helpful, can also come across as a little bit antagonistic. So a very specific kind of person wants to work with that personality brand that I embody. For someone else, it's going to be something totally different. If you don't have a clear understanding of what that is and how all four of those elements combine together, you can't really see how people perceive your product or why they would choose to buy. And you definitely can't optimize your sales process trying to find those specific kinds of people and presenting yourself to them in a way that will really capitalize on all those features. Right, I see. So the first three steps in that process uh, involve the problem that your prospect has. And then the fourth one is your brand, basically, right? Yeah, the, the, so, I call it the, the personality brand. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know uh, do you know Natalie Lussier? She had the, I don't think so. She registered the domain uh, rawfoodswitch.com. And then, uh, fortunately, by like a, she got like this. Uh, she realized that uh, if you if you take the S, it becomes raw foods which if you if you separate the S from the switch, and then she created whole her whole brand and identity around this which uh, archetype and personality. And, yeah, I'm on uh, her website right now. It looks it looks good. Yeah, she's got that. It's it's sort of playful and comical, and her logo shows that, and even her font choices and colors show that. And... <laughs> Yeah, so it was basically like a happy accident, you know, and um, she attributes that to being a critical factor in her success is that she's able to inject that personality into her brand. She was able to take a subject matter, which probably a lot of people have uh, negative or neutral associations to, whether it's raw foods, a person's weight, or their health, and she's able to put a fun spin on it and make the topic enjoyable. 
that probably works really well for her. But on the other hand, she, if she were a different kind of person, she could have taken more of like an army drill sergeant kind of approach. Like I will change your life in 10 days and, and you know, things are going to be totally different. You're not going to believe the results you see. I'm going to kick your butt with my coaching and my training and, and you're going to lose that weight or whatever it is people are trying to do. If that's the kind of coach they were looking for, she's apparently locked onto a market that's looking for this playful, more lighthearted approach to eating raw foods, real foods. Yeah, it's worked really well for her. Um, so let's let's go back to you. Let's talk a little bit more about you. Uh, one question I've been wanting to ask you ever since we started talking is uh, how you're able to close deals with your clients over the Internet. And I think you mentioned that you can convince someone to hand you over several hundred dollars in just 15 minutes. Uh, can you walk me through that? <laughs> yes. Um, is there a step-by-step it- process that you use or... More or less, yes. I, I try to wing it because, again, I think that's where my strength is really getting into a deep conversation with someone and trying to figure out what they're looking for, which is really what the art of persuasion is, not tricking someone into doing something, but uh, communicating in a way that makes them think you have what it is they're looking for. And if you don't have it, what it is they're looking for, then you're you're a fraudster. But if you really do, uh, it you know, you need to do everything in your power to make them realize that you have what they're looking for because most people will not see it until you really obviously point it out to them. The kind of people I work with usually come to me on the phone or on Skype already having a pretty good idea of what I do and the kinds of of things I can offer them. So that's a big part of the process. I'm not approaching strangers in the street and saying, hey, in 15 minutes, I bet I can convince you to give me $500. For the right person, I could, but that person has to have needs that line up with what I'm capable of offering. They have to have a personality that is in line with my personality. Again, they have to be attracted to the kind of person I am. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people don't like me. They think I'm a jerk or something. I don't know. But that doesn't matter because I only need to work with people who do like me, who are looking for the kind of personality values I can add to what they're looking for. I mean, aside from the practical values. So when they call me, usually based off of... Gregory, if you don't mind, if if we can hold up for a second. How do they find you? Uh, Can you walk me through the the top of your funnel? Um, Uh, I don't have... They know who you are. Like, how how have they heard about you? Are you putting uh, lines out in the sea out there? Like, how how are you doing that? Most of my business at the moment comes from advertisements that I have up across freelancing websites and strategic places where people are looking for business help. I don't have a lot of incoming traffic to my website at the moment, though that's the next obstacle I'm tackling in my business growth. I'm just not really a technical person. So up until recently, I was doing all my website stuff myself and still being, you know, fairly successful. But now I've uh, I've handed most of that over to a technical partner of mine who's recently done a really good job redesigning my website in WordPress. And he's going to be helping me set up various sales funnels and SEO and all that technical stuff that I'm familiar with, but not the kind of stuff I want to dig my hands into, which... So- let me ask you though, uh, what type of paid advertising are you doing? Are these you mentioned freelancing websites? Are we talking about like Elance and Odesk? Because yeah, sites like exactly yeah. They, they don't allow like uh, paid advertising, do they? 
No, I don't do paid advertising. I just I use that as a way to offer introductory services to people, people who need something really small, really easy. If somebody were just looking for, I don't know, write me a sales pitch or something, okay. something that I could do for 50 or $100, something that's very very low barrier to entry because that's a very important part of the process of getting to higher dollar amounts that when you start with something really low, people's defenses are down. When you're a complete stranger to someone, they're going to be apprehensive about giving you a lot of their money until you don't feel like a stranger to them, which is why, for me at least, getting on a call with somebody is a very important part of making them feel familiar with me, like they can trust me with their money. And to go from, well, I know you think you only need this one fifty or $100 service, but have you considered that I might actually be able to help you with all these other things that total 500 or $1,000 or maybe not even in the same call, but after the initial service is done. The power of the upsell is very important to someone like me because I don't have a very strong brand presence yet. That's something I really need to work on in my business, and it's definitely the next uh, path I'm taking, try to actually develop a reputation as an expert. But for now, it's about being able to latch on to someone's desire and make them feel as, I, as though I am an expert in that very short amount of time that we talk. And since I've been doing that long enough now, I have a client base of people who are all very happy with the work I provide, and they're happy to keep coming back to me for more and referring new people to me. So that's definitely a big source of my business, too, that people who have already become content and happy with the services I provide. The, the power of a referral is more powerful than any other kind of of brand reputation I can imagine, right? It doesn't matter if you were Tony Robbins or Oprah or anybody that is is worldly recognized as as the go-to person in their field if your friend says to you i trust this guy i know this guy i've given my guy this money he's exactly what you need you're going to be more inclined to go with that person so that's a big part of my business too but that only comes from having genuinely happy clients the process of getting them to that point where they're ready to pay me is just about having a conversation where i can ask them questions about identifying what they're looking for I don't sit there and talk about how great I am or how how what I do for you is going to change your life and change your business and you're going to be a millionaire. I sit and ask, well, what do you need? What are you looking for? Why are you talking to me right now? And if the answer they give is satisfactory and it's something that I can actually help them with, I very calmly explain to them, here are all the qualifying reasons why I am the best person to help you with X, Y, and Z that you just mentioned. It's very simple. It's a, it's a call and response. You ask you wait for the answer, and then you restate that answer in a way that makes them see very clearly you can do that for them. Okay, and so you, you start off with small one-off projects you mentioned, like uh, doing some writing for $50, right? That's the easiest way to get new clients, I've found. Once somebody has started spending money with you, it's much easier to keep spending money with you. It's very easy to take a door that is cracked open even an inch and open it much wider than to try to break the whole thing down at once and just go straight for those $10,000 clients or whatever the price range you're working in. I see. I'm looking at your Odesk and your Elance profile. You have a $95 hourly rate, or at least that's what it said on these profiles. Um, What are you offering for $50 exactly? Is that like a, a consultation? Uh, Sometimes I'll do introductory consultations. Sometimes I'll just write a page of content for someone. That's really just to get the ball rolling. As I said, usually I will want to work on a project basis because everybody needs something totally different. So it's impossible for me to just say, here's here's a standard $1,000 deal. I want to know what 
work you've already done. I want to know what needs to be done. I want to know how much of my time it's going to take up, how intensively I'm going to have to be working with you. So I almost always work on a custom quote basis. But in order to do that, I first have to get people uh, on the phone with me. I have to get them spending money with me and I have to get them to like working with me. Okay, so once you talk to them for 15 minutes, um, they say, all right, I need this guy. Uh, how do you close them? Do you send them a contract or a proposal? Or you just go ahead and get started and then ask for payment? On small jobs, I keep things fairly simple on okay. a handshake basis. I say, yeah, I need $50, $100, $200 to do that. Send me the money and then I'll get started. I always invoice up front for small jobs because I'm just it's not worth the headache of of having to potentially chase people down if, if things don't work out. But I do always offer unlimited um, edits, basically, with any work I do until people are happy. Well, uh, uh, Gregory, and- a lot of, I want to ask you because a lot of leads seem to fall through the cracks um, between the opening consultation and you know, signing the contract and getting started on the project. I noticed that it's something that I've had to struggle with over the last several years, um, especially with websites like Odesk where there's you know, maybe 200 applicants for one job. Uh, and then, you know, or, or a client will ask, you know, can you send me your proposal? And then, you know, you don't hear from them or you don't ink the deal. You know, that's, that's really frustrating. Uh, I understand that. And, yeah, there's an enormous amount of competition out there, which is a big part of it, that if you've got 200 people applying for, for one project, what's going to make you stand out? Every successful, and I don't usually like to compete for jobs in that way. I like people to come to me because they're interested in me for a specific reason. But I have done you know, competing for work as well. And I don't know if you've ever tried to hire people on these sites, but you may notice that 90% of the people on there are absolutely awful at submitting applications to jobs because they will ramble on and on about information you never asked for that isn't relevant to the job, about the college they went to and their life story and their passion for the work, none of which are things that you may have mentioned in the initial job posting saying, I need somebody who can do this specific kind of work in this time frame for this amount of money. Show me that you can do that. That's that's the most straightforward way to, to get important qualifying information from a person. If you can answer it in a job post in a way that shows you, you are that person, this is the person I am, this is the kind of work I do, this is how much I charge, here's proof that I can do it, and here's why when I do it, it will be uniquely suited, uniquely advantageous for you. It can be as simple as a few sentences of text, and that's where I get the most success from because I cut through all the pages and pages of bullcrap uh, people trying to toot their own horn and talk about all their credentials and all the amazing things they can do and just say, here is the problem you have identified. I'm showing you that I understand your problem. Here is my solution, and here's why it is optimal for the specific problem that you have. That's the simplest sales pitch in the world. That's what I do in spoken form when I get people on the phone or on Skype, and you can do the exact same thing if you were sending out written applications to people. Here's your problem. Here's why my solution is uniquely suited for it. Pay me. Yeah, it's fantastic. I do the exact same thing. Uh, if I can, just, in my proposals, uh, they always start with a problem statement, and then proposed solution and project goals. Really simple, right? Yeah. Don't even bother with. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm a working professional, and I hope you're having a great day. And wouldn't it be great <laughs> if we could work together? And everyone is just taking up hours of my life with this yeah. know, empty copy and pasted greetings. And well, I, I remember when I started out because I. You know, I had to create my own proposals, and I was like, "Well, how should I do this?" You know, it looks, 
it just looks like a bunch of legal text and a bunch of, you know, bullshit that I don't understand. And, uh, you know, and then I was like, all right, why don't I just cut through all this crap and just say, say things how they are, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's what I, and again, it, it's hard to say that that's a one size fits all solution for everyone because there are so many other factors that go into it. It fits with my personality brand. As I said, if you're a very different kind of person, that approach might not work for you. You have to, all the factors have to be in place. All your strengths have to complement each other. And for me, that works really well. So I'm going to keep optimizing that approach uh, until it doesn't work anymore and then figure something else out. But you have to figure out what works for you. You have to establish both your own personal identity, what kind of entrepreneur you are, what kind of professional you are, which then bleeds into the identity of the business that you're running. Fantastic. So you mentioned that you start with a low front-end service. Um, how do you retain these clients? And tell me what your back-end looks like, like your, your bigger packages or your bigger services that you make your, the real money. Well, one of the biggest things I sell right now, and I wouldn't consider this uh, real money, but it's, it's sufficient, is a $3,000 combination consulting, uh, writing, and website implementation where basically I work with people over the course of several weeks to identify uh, some of the things I already talked about, what the strengths are in their business, what their unique selling proposition is, potential opportunities for partnership that they're missing out on to take whatever small amount of success they already have, which is usually accidental, usually, which has happened in spite of themselves, not because of. This is very well suited for people who are skilled artisans of some kind or very good at performing a trade or, again, are very technically minded people. So they're very good at running one half of the business, but not the, the strategy and communication half. And after we've distilled down their identity to the most core fundamental elements, learned how to put it together into common applications like taglines and elevator pitches and website content and, and so on and so forth. Then I have my um, web guy, uh, whose name is Trevor Spencer, take over their existing website if they have an existing one and essentially do the same process from a technical perspective. Why isn't your website converting? Why does it look like crap? How can we fix this? How can we make it run better? And it's like a complete business reset basically, both in terms of identity, communication, and the technical aspects um, in, in a matter of several weeks, which has been very popular for a certain kind of person, particularly people who, who, don't, who aren't very familiar with doing business online, because it's a lot of stuff to learn. I grew up in the age of the internet, and I still barely understand uh, how to run a successful website or about things like SEO and conversion rates. And uh, I'm a smart enough guy. It's just that that's not what I want to focus on. That's not my specialty. Um, it's a whole new skill to learn how to represent yourself through writing on a website or how to use all the technology to, to your, you know, greatest advantage. So this kind of package, uh, not only helps them internally philosophically understand their business better and then how to, how to be a better provider of that service or those products, but then actually gives them a fully functional business to work with. I mean, they have to actually then do things with, they have to uh, be providing whatever it is they're providing. But it's it's something I just sort of came up with after working with enough people and noticing that these same needs kept coming up, that, that people would come to me thinking they needed 
something very simple like a consulting session or a sales page, but really they needed a complete business overhaul. So after a while, I'd take my best clients and explain to them, here's this new process I want to try with you because I think this is going to cut down to the core of what what you need and what you're doing. And with certain ones now that I've seen the most potential in who need ongoing help from me, not just this initial setup, I've actually worked out revenue sharing deals where essentially I take over a certain part of, of their business and my partner takes over part of the technical aspects of what they're doing and I take over care of their marketing and their communication and we take a share of, of the money that they bring in rather than them paying an ongoing fee. It's more just like a partnership we've worked out, but I only do that with people that I feel most comfortable working with and I have the greatest faith in their business. Okay, so you do revenue sharing. You do uh, you have a $3,000 package you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. And it's basically like, uh, how do you demonstrate the value? Like, are you saying that, you know, I'm going to help increase your traffic by 30% or I'm going to help you increase your conversion rate? Well, again, that would just be one, that would be one single factor, right? Which is what, which isn't usually how I like to work because that assumes that one factor is the only thing, uh, keeping their business from being as successful as it can be. And I'm happy to provide those kinds of services to people for people who actually do just need one thing taken care of. But this package, for example, is about a complete reestablishment of your business identity, starting from a better place than you have been working in previously. It's not for everyone, but uh, I think most people who have not put an enormous amount of conscious thought into optimizing their identity even if they're relatively successful right now, definitely need some kind of help like this. Okay, so I guess what I'm asking is how do you communicate the value? Because you have to make it like a no-brainer kind of offer for them, right? Yes. Um, um, and I want to know, like, Gregory, you know, let's say you want, uh, we want to work together, and I say, you know, Gregory, I'm going to give you $3,000. Um, what can you give me in return? Um. I'm going over my the old sales page I used to use for this package. To, uh, again, usually I, I get people on, on Skype with me. These are people who have already a pretty good sense of who I am or they've read something about me or seen the kind of work I can do. So I'm not going in totally cold, which is such a such an important part of it that you don't just want to pitch strangers, hey, give me $3,000 because I said so. Um, the, the benefits I broke down when I, when I previously tried to sell this through a sales page was that you can monetize your actions as quickly as possible. So if you're good at something, but you have no idea how to start selling it, uh, then having an identity and having it implemented really well online gives you a way to start charging money for it as quickly as possible. You can refine your approach with a very a neutral personality. In other words, even if I don't know anything about the industry that you're working in, if, if you're a raw food coach and I don't know anything about raw foods or why I should care about that, that actually gives me an advantage because it means I get to see what you're doing from, from a complete outsider's perspective. And I get to say, is this attractive to me? Would I care about what you're saying, the promises you're making about how I'll, how I'll feel better or how I'll lose weight if I start eating raw foods when previously I didn't know anything about that lifestyle or that philosophy? Um, it helps people establish both a short-term and a long-term vision for what they're doing because they get to see how immediately they can start closing more clients or selling more of their widgets or whatever it is they're doing and how years from now in the future they can be branded as this particular kind of expert, right? Just as I'm now trying to brand myself as the, the expert in business and personal identity development, they can they no longer just become a person who, who does X, a person who 
who coaches people on how to use raw foods or does yoga or produces this kind of product. They then become an embodiment of, of that identity. They become the, the raw food, whatever, the, the real food, which is an example for, for the, the um, person you mentioned earlier, that she became this identity, which really captures a lot of her personality, that she's a, a playful, modern kind of person. And you can't do that if you're only thinking of how do I book more clients today? How do I get more money in my bank account today? You need a long-term vision for who you're going to be and what your presence in the market is going to be. So that's a huge part of what I do. And then... Right. So so a big part of what entrepreneurs focus on are the short-term and their immediate needs. Yeah, exactly. And they're not zoomed out. They're, they're kind of in the forest surrounded by the trees. And they can't yes. see the bigger picture. And and you need both, really. That's fantastic. You need you need to make sure money is always coming in, what you can be doing on it on a daily basis to ensure your success, but also see where you're going. And I really think that's impossible to do if you do not have a strong sense of identity. Right. You know, one one person, one author who really helped me put it into perspective, uh have you read The Millionaire Fast Lane? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've read it. Well, he talks about the different types of uh, income, you know, that you, you can create, you know, like intellectual income, rental income. Uh, but the reason it, it, it made me start to think about things differently, like uh, I, before I was only dependent on one source of income, you know, which was my freelance clients. Uh, but then I realized the importance of diversifying and, and planning for the long term, you know, and having multiple streams of income. And, and that book really helped me uh, put everything into perspective. But I think I was I was like one of your clients uh, before, you know, where I, I just busy responding to emails and, you know, trying to get work done, but just kind of spinning the wheels and, and not really, you know, my, my long-term goals are going further and further away. Yeah. And do you want your identity to be somebody who is constantly having to check emails and answer the same mundane questions over and over again? Or do you want to be the guy who just does the one thing he's passionate about and really good at? And he has systems in place to take care of all of the grind work, as I call it. Because delegation, and not just in the terms of, of having automated systems like, you know, your business is set up in a certain way to capture leads or, or convert traffic or whatever, but involving people too, which is the point of delegation, creating human systems to take care of the parts of your business that you don't want to. And starting off as a solo professional, all that responsibility falls on your shoulders. But as you get to a certain point of success and you start to realize where you are most valuable, you need to start, you know, investing your capital into people who will take care of the other stuff that you should not be spending your time on because that is where you are not most valuable. And again, that comes down to your identity. Are you the guy who who maintains your email campaign and and checks up on your social media traffic and and answers every question that comes into your inbox or are you the expert on blank? Yeah, exactly. I used to do a lot of outsourcing and delegating in my previous business, but um, you know, I don't do too much of it these days. But I, I do like this concept of leverage, um, you know, getting the most leverage for your time. And, and one thing that I really like too is um, I call it the principle of accelerating returns. So you know, it's kind of like Malcolm Gladwell's uh, ten thousand hours principle. And the more time you spend uh, at one thing, you know, you get really, really good at it, and it becomes easier and easier and easier. And then you can either automate it, you can either you know leverage it somehow, or you can delegate it to someone else. But I feel like once once you kind of become the expert in one area, then you you really things start to multiply upon themselves. Would you say? 
Um, yeah, I, I think so. Again, more. I don't consider myself the world-class expert on anything, but I think I have a combination of skills that make me particularly well-suited for the kind of work I'm doing mm-hmm. for, for businesses and for individuals. My, my next goal is to really establish myself in personal development as well along a similar line because the same skill set can be applied to so many different domains. If you're good at talking, if you're good at explaining how things work, if you're good at asking really targeted questions, uh, there are so many ways you could apply that in the world. That's not just you know one right. job or one career path that needs those. So even if superficially the many different ways you could apply it seem unrelated, if you trace back where they're coming from, you realize you have so many uh, potential ways you can apply your talents, especially if you have a multitude of complementary talents. Right. And so much of my journey as an entrepreneur as well has just been a lot of the things I'm just doing for the first time. You know, and the first time I do it, it's it's been really difficult. Um, but then once I have that experience under my belt, you know, the first time I published a book, for example, um, it just gets easier and easier and easier. And, you know, I was thinking about this recently uh, on my blog, for example. I traveled the whole month of May. And during that, I'm sorry, not the month of May, uh, the month of March. And during that time, we published 10 pieces of new content on our blog. And that's, that's been the most prolific month I've ever had. Um, but the reason is because I've installed those systems. And I know exactly, I've, I've leveraged different processes and, and made them better and better and better, that it becomes easier and easier and easier to, to create this content and get it out there on the site. Um, so, for example, I've, I've started using a scheduling app to schedule podcasts that's made a huge difference. I'm using email tools like uh, uh, CRM tools like Streak. Have you heard of Streak? No, I don't think so. Well, Streak is awesome because uh, you can use like little snippets in your emails and saves a lot of time. Um, you know, you can also import uh, spreadsheets into there and, and you can do like a mass emailing, mass customized emailing. Um, I found that it saved me a lot of time and, and just these processes just seem to keep getting smarter and smarter and smarter. And I feel like I can, I can take it to the next level each time. Um, yeah, you know, and it's interesting because the better you get at systemizing and delegating to the point where you're really only doing one thing and then the other 80 or 90% of the work gets taken care of by itself, you may find yourself having a lot more free time. And while technically a lot more work is getting done and you're probably making more money, you feel like you're not getting anything done because your day consists of, you know, checking your email, making a few calls, moving things from column A to column B for a little while. And then that's it. There are no more pressing needs that should be taken care of because somebody else has already taken care of them for you. So then you get a lot more free time and you're thinking, well, I I made some money today. It was very easy, but now what do I do? What's the next step I need to take, take my business in or take my life in? And that's the same phenomenon that happens to people when they travel, as I'm sure you know, that when people take time off from their regular lives to go hang out on a beach in Thailand or, or explore with no obligations, living a new lifestyle, it's like, well, what do I do now? Like, I'm, I'm pretty happy, but no one is telling me what to do with my time. So do I just keep doing this? Do I go back to my old life or do I discover a completely new lifestyle and a completely new identity with no obligations? <laughs> That's exactly how I feel, Gregory. Um, you know, I, I just wrote an article about um, how I was working from the SkyTrain in Bangkok. Have you been to Bangkok? Uh, yeah, briefly. Yeah, so what I found is that whenever I'm commuting on a train or a bus, like, I'm super productive. I can get a lot of writing done. So I was like, well, why don't I just go to the public, you know, train over here 
and I'll just do all my writing on the train. And I have no Wi-Fi connection, so there's nothing to do but work. And I was writing, you know, 2,000 words an hour. And after two, wow. after, yeah, after two hours of that, I had, like, all of my work done. And it's like, well, heck, I got the whole afternoon now. What should I do with all this time? And it's, it's really cool. And I, I, I can relate exactly to that experience you just mentioned. Um, I, I totally agree with that, by the way. I was just on a train <laughs> uh, yesterday going from Barcelona to this um, little pueblo in Aragon, in, in Spain, I can't remember exactly where. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Um, but yeah, I was on a train for about two and a half hours. And for some reason, that is one of the most productive environments for me. I think it has to do with, with the fact that it's it's controlled, it's quiet, it's clean, but there's still activity going on in the window right outside of you. You're going past landscapes that are constantly changing. There's a mild amount of activity from the other people around you, but nothing that's overly stimulating uh, but still, I don't know what it is, but yeah, for writing especially, I, I find it very productive. And you can't go anywhere. You're stuck there for like exactly. a set of time. Awesome, Greg. Well, this interview's run a little bit long, and uh, I think it's been great chatting with you. I just wanted to thank you for your time. Yeah, well, it's, it's been great. I'd love to talk to you again anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Greg. Take care.